it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Very pleased to have you all here between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. We are very grateful. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website, all the ways to listen live. And we do recommend listening as we air between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern. But if you can't, every weekday, we have a podcast. It's free, on demand, no charge at all. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And that includes, by the way, Bonus Benson on the weekends. I'm the political editor at townhall.com, a Fox News contributor. I'll be on the panel tonight with Brett Bayer on Special Report and that crew. I've got a little Christmas sweater action going on. So still a tie. It's still Special Report. you got to impress Brett. But a little bit more festive than usual tonight in the sartorial department. Just a heads up. That'll be around 645 Eastern time. That's on Fox News Channel. So please tune in for that or set your DVRs. And, of course, I'm the host of this fine program as well. We've got a lot to get to on the radio side. Here's the lineup. Later this hour, Brian Kilmeade, our colleague here at Fox News Radio, and he's all over Fox News Channel. He's on like 15, 16 hours a week on TV and then 15 hours a week on radio. The man is a hard worker, and we will talk to him about a whole host of issues coming up later on this hour. Bridget Mahoney from Fox Weather will be here in the next hour, some very severe weather causing all kinds of havoc already. If you're planning to travel for Christmas, I mean, you probably know it's just a mess in a lot of the country. We'll talk to Bridget about that. Yesterday, we were scheduled to have an interview with Sean Reyes, the Utah Attorney General, on some very serious subjects involving online child exploitation and cracking down on child pornography on platforms like Twitter because of some of the breaking news with President Zelensky in D.C., uh, we took some of that live. So we will have that interview today with the Utah Attorney General later on in the program. And in our final hour, the happy hour, we welcome back our dear friend and colleague, Kat Timpf, for all sorts of holiday nonsense. So please do stay tuned for that. Speaking of nonsense, let's start with a Fox News alert. The U.S. Senate has passed the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill through next year. The vote was 68 to 29, so a blowout, right? Needed 60 votes to advance, got well more than that, and almost 70 votes for final passage. It will now ping over to the House, still for now controlled by Democrats. It'll pass. It'll get signed. And we will add $1.7 trillion to the tab. Now, as I said yesterday, I'm not against every single thing that's in the bill. You have to fund the government. There are priorities. You have to be realistic about this stuff. And I'm a pragmatist. right? If I were a member of the Senate, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people who would call me part of the rhino caucus sometimes. 
In fact, I think probably some of you mutter about me being a rhino on the show. It's sort of how I roll here. I call them as I see them, very conservative on some things, moderate on other things. I just try to be honest with you guys. And I look at the list of Republicans who voted for this thing in the Senate. And, you know, if you go through that roster, it's kind of a familiar group. Blunt, Bozeman, Capito, Collins, Cornyn, Cotton, Graham, Inhofe, McConnell, Moran, Murkowski, Portman, Romney, Rounds, Shelby, Thune, Wicker, and Young. So some appropriators, some military hawks, some rank-and-file folks, some you know more moderate members. That's kind of the coalition that you get there, 18 Republicans plus all 50 Democrats. And I'm not going to sit here and say, let's light some torches and go do some rhino hunting and primary these people for this vote. I think some of the threats that were issued, we mentioned this yesterday, by some House conservatives probably backfired, did not have the intended effect. But I will say that if I were serving in the U.S. Senate today, I would have been a no. I don't hate the whole thing on substance. I understand some of the good arguments in favor of it. Right? These Republicans aren't all a bunch of just psychotic traitors or something. There are good elements of the bill. But the process, the process is just disgusting to me. I don't think I could have brought myself to hold my nose and vote for this thing. Even while I could defend on some merits that vote from other people, to have this small little cabal of people, the very highest levels, getting together in back rooms, cutting deals for huge amounts of money at the very last minute and then saying, all right, here's 4,100 pages, everyone. We're voting, you know, the day after tomorrow, and we've got to keep the government open. This is what we're doing. You better vote yes. I just think it is an exceptionally pathetic way to run a government. Oh, and by the way, here's another little gift, a little regalito in the omnibus spending bill highlighted by the editors at the Wall Street Journal today. An omnibus bailout for sanctuary cities. Let me read to you from this editorial. Democrats' approach to the border crisis has been to minimize it, except when it burdens the cities they run. That explains the small mountain of money set aside for New York and other progressive sanctuaries in Congress's omnibus spending bill. Talked into the Senate version is $785 million for migrant services such as food and shelter. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer wants the cash doled out to cities by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, so FEMA. Awards will supposedly be determined through a competitive process, but Schumer has one recipient in mind. Politico reports that his hometown of New York will likely get a, quote, substantial share of the cash. Expect other Democratic strongholds to join the queue. These cities have been clamoring for a bailout amid an influx of migrants since May, as asylum seekers released by the DHS officials head north. This migrant pileup is a direct result of the Biden border policy. Illegal crossings, and you all know this, surpassed 2 million this year. 
overwhelming DHS facilities and allowing a greater share of migrants to be released in the U.S. on parole. The number of daily crossings has climbed by the thousands in recent weeks. The brunt of the migrant crisis is borne by smaller cities in GOP-led border states. So, what, the better part of a billion dollars, which is a lot of money, although just a drop in the bucket out of, what, $1.7 trillion? Almost $800 million going to cities like New York for a bailout to try to deal with just the small number of migrants that are being bussed and flown to those cities by people like Governor Greg Abbott, Governor Ron DeSantis. And I guess, I mean, what, what, what a racket. What a boondoggle. But now that we know that they have this money, I would say that should be an open invitation for these Republican governors to send many, 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 many more of these illegal immigrants to these blue cities. They're sanctuaries, after all. They like these policies. They can't whine about resources as much anymore because U.S. taxpayers are now shipping them, what, $800 million to deal with it. Send a lot more, Governor Abbott. Send a lot more, Governor Ducey, although he's almost done in Arizona. Democrats taking over that state. Ron DeSantis, you want to get involved again? By all means. It can't just be these border communities that have to deal with this day in and day out in a full-blown emergency and crisis footing. These blue cities and their sanctimony Their sanctuary sanctimony, to me, are just stomach-turning, where they like to talk a great game about how kind and compassionate they are, how worldly they are, how they know better than these other benighted masses in middle America. But when just a tiny little fraction of the problem that they support through their policies and their party— When a tiny element of it is visited upon their city, their community, they've gone crazy. And now I guess Chuck has slid in $800 million into this thing to make sure that they're going to have a lot more money to deal with it. So I would say, as taxpayers, let's get our money's worth. Let's send thousands of these people to those cities. Because the problem isn't going to get better. I mentioned Arizona. In fact, let me bring this up. I did not know that this lawsuit had happened, but apparently the state of Arizona and the Ducey administration had to settle with the federal government. Listen to this. This is from court documents. The shipping container barriers are coming down in Arizona. We talked about this yesterday with Bill Malugin in Texas. Just at the end of their rope in Texas, officials, part of Operation Lone Star, They've been just lining up shipping containers along parts of the border with some razor wire and some floodlights saying, don't cross the border. Of course, many people are anyway. Record numbers. But they're trying to mitigate the problem somewhat. So that's what they've done in Texas. Doug Ducey, another border state governor, he's looked over there. He said, "Okay, that's an interesting idea. Relatively low cost. Let's try that. So he's been doing it. And he got sued. By the Biden administration. This is from journalist Allie Bradley at News Nation. She says the shipping container barriers in Arizona coming down 
Ducey has agreed not to place any more containers along the border and to remove the existing barriers after the Biden administration sued, saying the state was trespassing on federal land and damaging the environment. So there you have that. The federal government is absolutely failing in its responsibilities at the border. The crisis is as bad as it's ever been. It's going to get worse when Title 42 is gone. You've got Border Patrol off the front lines, totally demoralized, some of them committing suicide. You've got hundreds of migrants dying. You've got thousands of people sleeping in the streets in freezing temperatures. And the governor of Arizona, at least for a couple more days, has been following the lead of Texas and trying to do something to stop the influx. And the Biden administration, the federal government, looked at that and said, oh, well, no, that can't stand. In fact, we're suing you. Get off our federal land. Get off our property. Oh, the environmental impact. What do you think the environmental impact is of the border crisis, Mr. President? It's not the point. Politics is the point. They have no interest in actually fixing the problem and changing their policies. And by the way, to bring it back to the omnibus vote today, here's another reason I would have been a no. There were some reasonable immigration amendments that were offered. Our friend Mike Lee from Utah offered one of them. Like, hey, if we're going to be spending all this money, including a bunch of more money to Ukraine, which I support, I've said that before, we'll talk about it again, I support helping the Ukrainians, but if we're going to be spending all this money, $1.7 trillion across all these different projects, can't we actually devote some more serious resources to border security and changing and tweaking certain policies to try to get the crisis under control a little bit. And the Democrats were like, no, absolutely not. That's a red line. Poison pill. Poison pill. Anything designed to seriously even make a dent in the border crisis was declared a poison pill and unacceptable by the Democrats. I mean, it just it speaks for itself. They had their own phony amendments to try to make it seem like, oh, no, we'll vote for this one instead so we can say that we voted for some piece of paper that talked about the border crisis. Not serious. Cinema had won. Who's the guy in Montana with the flat top who votes like Chuck Schumer but looks like he's a hunter? Total fake moderate. He had another one of these uh, phony alternatives on the border crisis. The whole point was failure theater. The point was to get all of it voted down. That's exactly what happened on the border stuff. And they proceeded to a final vote, and it passed 68 to 29. Again, I'm not raging against any Republican who voted yes. I just couldn't have gotten there. I mean, the process, especially in the context of the border crisis and high inflation, it's just insulting. It's just insulting. And the extra slap in the face on the border stuff, it's just too much. So I would have been a no today. This is no way for a serious, proper country to govern itself. And the more that we allow this to become the new normal, the less serious and proper of a country we are. So if you can sense that I'm a little bit frustrated by this, you're correct. A typical, ugly, embarrassing mess, wasteful, last minute, rushed, crammed down. I just hate it. And yet, it passed, and it's going to be law, and we're all going to pay for it. 
us and our kids and our grandkids with all the debt. I know no one ever wants to talk about that, really, in either party. Still real. The math is real. And that is the cheerful note on which we begin today's edition of The Guy Benson Show, which is just getting started. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Your money is not charity. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. Russia. Russia could stop its aggression. Really, if it wanted to. But you can speed up our victory. I'm Guy Benson. That was the voice of... President Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine, whose name is spelled about eight different ways, depending on who you ask, addressing Congress last night. And he was greeted very warmly by lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, with a few notable exceptions. And I've seen people whining about what he wore to the White House, like his wartime outfit that he wears all the time back home. Oh, have more respect. You should wear a suit. I think if he wore a nice suit, people would say, are we paying for a nice suit for him. Winston Churchill wore a a similar look when he came to the White House during World War II. I just think that that is missing the boat. He was sending a signal that it's a wartime leader. And even though he was out of his country for the first time since the war started, back home, people are going to see the images. He is still that wartime leader. I thought that his tone was good. It was overwhelmingly just gratitude, thankfulness. Not a bunch of hectoring or saying, you know, it's really not enough. You've got to give us more. Uh, Any sort of finger wagging was just a lot of thank you. And here's what we're doing with your money. And here's why it's important. So I I made my position pretty clear on this yesterday. I think I have now for the better part of a year. Maybe we'll talk to Brian Kilmeade about it coming up in the next segment as well. But he brought a Ukrainian flag from the battlefront, signed by some soldiers and presented it to Congress as a token of appreciation I know some people have mocked that gesture. I thought it was a nice, meaningful one. If you disagree, we can agree to disagree on that. We will step aside. As I mentioned, Brian Kilmeade is up next from our studios in New York. Should be a fun conversation. Stay with us. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Thanks for being here. It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast is always free. And with us now from our New York headquarters, a familiar voice around these parts, Brian Kilmeade. 
host of the Brian Kilmeade Show on Fox News Radio, co-host of Fox and Friends every weekday morning on Fox News Channel, also host of One Nation with Brian Kilmeade, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on FNC, best-selling author of multiple books, most recently The President and The Freedom Fighter, available now in paperback. And Brian Kilmeade, welcome back. Merry Christmas. Great to talk to you. Guys, a little bit of a problem. I'm in my, uh, sorry about that. I'm in my, uh, I'm in my studio and your name's back here instead of my name. I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, this is my studio. I don't know why your name is in the back. Can you have that fixed or? Uh, you can go to HR with that, Brian, if, if it's a real problem. I think it's on <laughs> some sort of automatic timer based on the time of day. Oh, really? But I know it's probably a little triggering to see right. my name in your <laughs> digs. And I let me just say for the record, it is definitely Brian's studio. Right. That's, I do not dispute that. Well, with your name here, maybe that explains why there has not been a ceremony formally naming the studio after me. Maybe this makes sense now. Yet. Maybe that's a surprise coming in the future. <laughs> yes, right? maybe. You can Hope springs eternal, Brian. Absolutely. Maybe 2023 will be your year. It's the Brian Kilmeade studio. That's at least as far as I'm concerned. Well, since I just gave you this whole intro and talked about everything that you do here at Fox and you have like 17 shows, are you taking any time off at Christmas? Are you able to relax? You seem like someone with a motor that never stops. Well, I, I will take some time off on Christmas. I, will, I just want to go to a place colder. Evidently, that's Florida. I've seen the weather map. I don't know what's going on. Maybe the, the earth slowed down or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's going to be about 40 degrees. So I'll be, I'm going to be in the Jacksonville area uh, over, over Christmas for a few days, but be back for New Year's. But see, I thought about this guy, and you might feel the same way. I don't really I, – I like doing this. I, need, I, wanna, I don't mind not getting up at 2.30 in the morning. That's cool. fine. But, you know, at first, like, I used to say, don't watch television. Don't look anything up. Wait a second. I'm spending, I'm getting so stressed not doing what I want to do. I will just, I will do it in front of people, but I'll just take 45 minutes off at one point every day that I'm off. And I just go, I need to get updated. Because every time I don't get updated, something cataclysmic happens. And you'll see somebody and <laughs> go, oh, you heard what happened, right? Yeah, they're impeached. Or, yeah, you heard what happened, right? Uh, <laughs> California's broken off. It's now in the Pacific. You weren't, you didn't hear that? So it's always something sensational takes place. So I, now I just give that to myself. All right, because you don't want someone to then later on tell their friends, oh, I ran into Brian from Fox ah. News, and he didn't even know. Right. He didn't hear about California breaking off into the Pacific. He didn't know that this Anthony Fauci doesn't job. allow you to go outside anymore or shake hands. <laughs> right. So that makes sense. The way that I do it when I'm on full vacation, when I'm really, really off, is once a day I do email because nothing stresses me out more than coming back from a long period of time with just massive amounts of email. That, to me, is worse than yeah. parceling out a bit of time each day just to take care of it, to make sure I'm not missing anything important, deleting all the garbage, and just staying up to speed enough. It's like 15 minutes of email, 15 minutes of checking headlines to make sure I'm on top of anything big that might have happened, and then I try to step away. You're much better, I think, on social media than I am in terms of not getting sucked in. I'm trying to get better at that. But sometimes you're just sort of hanging out and having a few drinks, and all of a sudden Twitter starts calling your name, and I should probably just say no. Right. Um, I think you have to do that because, as I saw a stat recently, that 76% of the country has never tweeted. Mm -hmm. you know, so most people are not in our world. I, I, the only reason I like Twitter, for the most part, is to see what's breaking ahead of time. Uh, you yeah. look up there, if it says Guy Benson and you're trending – you gotta, yeah. you know, you gotta stop everything. You gotta get it's out of your dance club. Yeah, it's you, your, you yeah. don't want to be trending. It's never like Guy Benson. It, it, he's so good, it's scary. It must be <laughs> right. Exactly. He's so good, it must be illegal. <laughs> 
right, I'm either dead or in some sort of trouble. Right. right. That would basically be the reason that I'm trending. I know I agree with you. Plus, the other thing is if you're bored and it's the holidays and you've got some downtime and you've had a couple glasses of wine and then Twitter is this siren song, I think 100% of drunk tweets are usually a bad idea. Right. So that's another reason to stay away. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure that um, we've had a lot of famous people do that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. regret that. And also I hear that no one else is bad to tweet on. Ambien. There's a theory that Elon (laughs) Musk was on Ambien a few weeks ago or last weekend, and that was the same because he has trouble sleeping. And if you notice when his tweets came out and some of the crazy things he was saying – and doing, some oh. people are blaming, as somebody close to him is blaming Ambien. And remember, that's what Roseanne Barr said she was on when she made the horrible comment about Valerie Jarrett. Oh, I had forgotten about that, too. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe if you're taking mind-altering substances ah, in any way, stay away from the Twitter machine. Now, I was looking, speaking of Twitter, at my feed the last couple days And look, Brian, we have colleagues here who have different viewpoints. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I will just say, as someone who is a fairly traditional conservative in a lot of ways, not in every way, I'm a little puzzled by the intense hostility toward President Zelensky from Ukraine among a certain part of the right. I don't I don't get it. I can understand some criticisms of Ukraine and corruption and, you know, wondering about the dollar amounts that are being spent and where's all the money going. That seems somewhat reasonable to me. And like, hey, you know, we're doing all this stuff for Ukraine. We're not securing the border. There are some points to be made out there. But like the hatred, the hostility toward Ukraine and its leader is something that I truly don't understand personally. I have nothing but respect for the guy. Uh, You know, there are things going on. I looked up a couple of things. The accusations are, well, he's shutting down free speech. No, he isn't. There were two Russian-owned stations by oligarchs. They were pumping out anti-Ukrainian government stuff. So he's like, listen, I'm in a a war. We're shutting this down. And the other thing is there's a Russian Orthodox church right in the capital, and he was he's getting reports that they are basically a spy source, and some or some members are. Uh, for the Russian government, can't take any chances. I remember mm-hmm. personally that we were putting the FBI in certain mosques during the height of our hunt for bin Laden to make sure the next attack wasn't taking place there. It's not we're anti-Muslim. We're trying to be a little savvy. Ukraine has their different way of handling things. And they do have to worry about the Russians who are right, you know, right next door coming in and becoming spies or, or you know, and, and, and reporting his movements, for example. And the other thing would be there are rivalries in that country. You know, uh, Poroshenko and and Zelensky don't get along. Okay, Klitschko and Zelensky don't get along. It doesn't mean they. It doesn't mean we shouldn't support the country that is mm-hmm. a that is pushing that is a free country, free elections, Western style wants to be part of NATO. I don't understand the hostility, but guy, isn't it good to be part of a network? where the 8 o'clock show could be different than the 9 o'clock show, the different than yep. the 10 o'clock show. You don't have to flip around. Go to the 5. You, you, know, you definitely have different opinions on the 5. Gutfeld is different at, you know, different at 11. So I, I think that's why we're number one by far is that I, I will say this. We would be doing the same thing if President Trump was president. And if President Trump was president, Nancy Pelosi wouldn't have been there clapping and holding a flag for Zelensky. And yeah. Jake Tapper wouldn't have been blowing out commercials to go cover Zelensky nonstop because they would say well, they would find a way to twist this in a way that Donald Trump looks bad. We've seen this exercise. So, you know, I don't understand. I don't understand it. Uh, I don't I just don't agree with it. Yeah, I think there's just like some 
tribalism stuff out there and kind of like anti-partisanship where if certain people believe something, then you have to believe the opposite because you hate them so much. It's just like something that doesn't make sense to me. And just I put a few messages out and did a few segments supportive of Ukraine again and Zelensky. I've been pretty consistent on that. And I got a lot of people yelling at me like, oh, you're a globalist warmonger supporting (laughs) the forever wars. I'm like, what do you mean warmonger? This is not a war that Ukraine started or that America is involved in with boots on the ground. This is Russia's war. If you're mad at warmongering and forever wars, go maybe, you know, knock on the front door of the Kremlin and have a word with them. And by the way, see how that goes for you. Guy, this is so to me, this is the most obvious place to be. I mean, the biggest story is why are we taking so long to give them the weapons they need, especially when we eventually give them the weapons they need? Why did we not give them high Mars first? We war plan. We game plan this out war plan. Why did not we give them some version of the Patriot missiles as soon as rocket started flying? Why did we take so long to arm them? Uh, and why were we so off in thinking the strength of the Russian army was going to wipe him out in 48 hours? So mm-hmm. I didn't think us getting involved would be an issue. Do you want tanks on Germany's border? Do you want Moldova just swallowed up? Do you want the rest of Georgia gone? Do you want the next thing you know, Estonia's free elections, cyber attacked again, and suddenly the Russian send us, uh, the Russian uh, the Russian uh, stooge would be in place like they are in Belarus? And right. do you want to see the Soviets get stronger with each acquisition? And Vladimir Putin to get more prestige on the world stage. I mean, and by the, the way, you you called them Soviets because that is very much the mindset of Vladimir Putin, ex KGB guy, yeah. really not ex, just like a KGB thug. And my point is, I would rather see the Russians fail disastrously in Ukraine at the hands of the Ukrainians yeah, defending themselves than needing to be confronted elsewhere because they're emboldened and then messing with NATO where we have an obligation to get involved in a military sense, you know, directly. So that's why I'm supportive of the Ukrainians. I think it is in our national interest for a number of reasons. Brian, let's shift gears completely in the time that we have left because I've been wanting to pick your brain on this. You're one of the big sports fans of the network. You do some of the sports coverage here at Fox News. I am not usually enough of an MLB fan to want to do a bunch of, like, hot stove off-season talk. I like baseball. I'm a big Yankee fan. But in-season, off-season, I sort of will watch from a distance. This Major League off-season has been wild. I mean, the money getting thrown around, the names going different places, it feels like a crazier one this year. Is it just me? No question. And if I'm the commissioner, I'm not happy. You don't want to put your hands and have collusion when it comes to payments, but, and I know a luxury tax was supposed to be their version of a salary cap, but when you're as rich as Steve Cohen, and I'm a Met fan, and I'm a Met fan, watch the Wilpons who are really bankrupt, no business owning that team, being propped up by Major League Baseball, and while sucking the team dry and selling everybody off. So I, I that was ridiculous what, what the Wilpons were able to do uh, because of Bernie Madoff kind of changed their lives, but they weren't spending too much prior, maybe Cespedes and Piazza. So now they go out and they sign this Japanese pitcher, uh, they go out and uh, sign um, Verlander, you know, right? Verlander. Correa. I mean, it's just been they let one, one go, and and they, you know all that money for Aaron Judge. And I want to tell you, if you're Pittsburgh Pirates, if you're Florida Miami Marlins, if you are uh, Chicago White Sox, if you are if you are the uh, if you are the Kansas City Royals, sure. what league are you? Twins, twins, and the league. You know, Twins have nothing but quality. Tampa has found a way to to get this perfect formula. But what league are you in? If you are eliminated before you play, make the first pitch, you have a problem with your league. The reason why the Packers 
have been a perennial power is because of revenue sharing. So there's got to be some way for them to digest this. And if all the prices go up, all the prices go up. But right now, I feel like there's a Division One and a Division Two and a Division Three. Mm. So do you think that maybe if it's totally imbalanced? Because, look, as a Yankee fan, I got lectured at forever. All this money, you're just buying your rings. First of all, money doesn't always equate to championships. Never. There's a lot yeah. of fans of different teams can tell you. Of course, it helps in terms of making big acquisitions, although the best Yankee teams in my lifetime were a lot of homegrown guys not going out and buying all these big stars. But at some point, if you've got a universe of just a small number of teams with a real shot every year of winning, that is less exciting for the sport as a whole, which has gotten less exciting for other reasons, too. The shift, all the home runs and strikeouts and nothing else. I know they're making some changes, some good, some bad to the sport. I just wonder, at some point, does Major League Baseball start to do something closer to a salary cap, something closer to... The NFL, because it's hard to argue with the NFL in terms of their success nationally. Like the NFL brand and fan base, revenues, eyeballs, all of it just blows everything else out of the water. Does baseball maybe start looking that direction? Yeah, it's just the players union will never agree to it. And this is the best right. they can do to it. And what happens is the Dodgers say, we'll absorb it. And then now the Mets are going to say, we'll absorb the fate. Well, what happens is where they're supposed to do it, Guy, as you know, is when I when the Mets go ahead and go over the cap and they pay a well, they pay a penalty, it goes should go to the teams, uh, it goes to the smaller market teams. Fine. Well, they should be obligated to put it into their payroll. A lot of them are banking it, and there should be a minimum, just like there should be a maximum, and oh, there should be a penalty on the minimum if you don't reach it. So the, the it's not fair to the people of Pittsburgh. That's a big city. I mean, that city's big enough. They they should not be constantly out of money. They have a seven something like a seventeen million dollar payroll, so I mean, what happens is those those teams they they load up to be competitive for two or three years, like the Royals did. Now they're no longer around. Not only can see, I like the mix of the Yankees can grow their players and because of their revenue can keep their players. But when they mm-hmm. were at their best, Steinbrenner was suspended, and they were able to get a young manager named Buck Walter, and they were able to get uh, make sure Bernie Williams wasn't traded, make sure Derek Jeter had his chance. You know, they had a mix of uh, a mix of veterans and Posada came up and, you know, Andy Pettit was homegrown and um, and you watched what happened in uh, their outfield. Roberto Kelly was traded and then they bring in Paul O'Neill. I'm loving that when you have if you have three great shortstops like the Mets do and you package that shortstop and you get some established players, I'm fine with that. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and you're actually just sending me down memory lane of those Yankees teams of the 90s and early 2000s, speaking my language. Well, you know, look, we'll see what happens. You mentioned Pittsburgh. Those sports fans, no success, right, with the Steelers, with the Penguins. They've had success. The Pirates have been notably absent for some of the reasons that you're mentioning. So uh, I'm a baseball fan. I want to see the sport thrive across the board. Uh, Yankee fan first, but also the sport needs to be good and, and have a strong fan base all across the country to compete in a meaningful way. So I think some of the things that you're throwing out there need to be considered pretty closely. Brian Kilmeade, our guest, we've got to let you go, Brian. It is your studio, after all. We've taken up far <laughs> too much of your time. Brian Kilmeade's show every morning on Fox News Radio. Fox & Friends earlier, that's on the news channel every weekday. And then Saturday nights, One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Get his latest book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, uh, best-selling book, out on paperback right now. Brian, Merry Christmas to you. We'll see you soon. Got it. And I, I'm going to make this like MetLife. Jets and Giants share a stadium. Guy Benson and Brian Kilmeade will share this <laughs> studio. 
Thanks so much, although, guys. Although for years it was giant stadium right. where the Jets played. That's what I feel like. I'm the Jets in this scenario. Yeah, they've blown it's, back it's in the It's Kilmeade Stadium and, <laughs> and Benson's there occasionally. That's not true. But, uh, Guy, <laughs> thanks so much. You have, you have full signages here. You should feel good. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, thanks Brian. Guy. We'll be right back. It is the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We continue here on the Guy Benson Show. Yesterday, we mentioned that Passaic County, New Jersey, had reimposed a mask mandate in their schools for everyone. And people noted that applied to even preschoolers, kindergartners with speech development issues. They have to wear masks due to COVID or whatever. So some of this anti-science stuff is back with the crazy debunked forced masking of young children. That's in Passaic County. We quoted Justin Spiro, who is a school social worker who's been really fighting back for quite a while now against the excesses of COVID restrictions, particularly in schools. And he reposted some photos from the Passaic Teachers Union holiday party from this past weekend. Do you care to guess what was happening at the holiday party? Oh, just a bunch of adults gathering in large numbers indoors, not a mask in sight, taking selfies, smiling. Good for them. Happy holidays, guys. But here are a bunch of adults partying indoors. And then a few days later, the school district's like, oh, all the kids need to wear masks again. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. Camden schools in New Jersey now doing the same. Two-week mask mandates coming back after the holidays. I saw the mayor of Chicago talking about more masks coming back. They're going to keep doing it as long as people keep standing for it. We'll keep pointing out the actual science as best we can on The Guy Benson Show. Another hour straight ahead. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A brand new hour underway here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. So happy to have you on board. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is free every day after the show's over. It's on demand, no charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow me on those platforms personally at Guy P. Benson. Catch me tonight on Special Report with Brett Bayer. I'm on the panel this evening in my Christmas best, sort of. Christmas sweater. I was put up to this by someone. I might tweet about it. We'll see. But I'll be on the panel around 645 Eastern time, and I hope to see you there on Fox News Channel. Fox News Alert as we begin our middle hour. The Dow continues this December sell-off, this roller coaster ride. Big day yesterday, bad day today. The Dow down 348 points at the close. So another day in the red. Dow closing out at 33,028 points. And that market update, sponsored by Americans for Prosperity. Our friends over at AFP committed to empowering every single American to realize his or her own American dream. They are champions of policies that expand freedom and opportunity. 
and I'm proud to stand with them. Americansforprosperity.org for more information. Joining us now is Bridget Mahoney, a meteorologist at Fox Weather. For the latest weather updates, you should check out that app, which is hugely popular, the Fox Weather app, or stream Fox Weather on your favorite connected TV device. And, Bridget, it's great to talk to you. Merry Christmas. Hey, Guy. Thanks for having me on. Merry Christmas to you. I think I'm looking forward to seeing your Christmas best later tonight. (laughs) Well, people are watching the radio show on the live stream at Fox Nation. They can sort of get a sneak preview of what I've got going on here. It's uh, it's a greenish shirt with a blue tie with, like, it looks like little snowflakes on it, and then a red Christmas sweater. So it's like a little bit dressed down but still with a tie I feel like I can get away with it because it's almost Christmas. And, and the snowflakes. I think that's indicating that's right. the forecast for so many yeah, people exactly. across Oh, the see, that's a transition. She's, she's <laughs> such a pro, ladies and gentlemen. So this is the thing. I said Merry Christmas, but for a lot of people, this Christmas could turn into a bit of a nightmare in terms of the weather in their neck of the woods or especially their travel if they're going to try to go see loved ones for Christmas. Talk about what we're seeing across the country. Some of these temperatures are just jaw-dropping. So brutal. You know, Mother Nature saying Merry Christmas to us by giving us a gift. I think everyone wants to return into this weekend. Uh, Temperatures, like you said, it's so brutal. We're talking about some spots this afternoon, same with your Friday, dropping 40 degrees within about a six-hour time frame. So places like New York, D.C., where you're at, Guy, right now, temperature's not that bad. But as we head into your Friday and more so Saturday, that's where we'll see temperatures in the teens for so many across the East Coast. And not even mentioning that, we have to talk about the wind chill as well, below zero for so many. For example, places like Minneapolis feeling like minus 30 right now. Minus 30. I saw some numbers out of Montana that looked absolutely outrageous last night. And, you know, you can sort of ooh and ah at these temperatures and say, wow, here's a really big, cold burst of winter. But at a certain point, temperatures get dangerous, right? I mean, people need to be careful. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest issues. On a normal week, these would be really dangerous temperatures. And, you know, we would normally say, you know, school's canceled, don't go outside, stay inside. But the reality is we're heading into Christmas weekend. People have to travel if they don't have to. You know, of course, you want to travel. You want to get home to your family. So as you're, you know, heading out on those extended road trips, that's where it becomes so dangerous because you're not in your house. If you run out of gas, it's an accident, hopefully that doesn't happen. But if it does happen, you're talking about being outside or at least in your car, hopefully stay in your car. Uh, but with minus 30 degree temperatures, that's when mm-hmm. it gets so exceptionally dangerous. So I think, you know, that's the biggest messaging into this weekend is any of that holiday travel is going to be pretty risky. So that's something you have to think about. Where are we going to be seeing a lot of the snowfall? Because I always root for a white Christmas. I'm not sure we're going to get one here in D.C., just bitter cold following a lot of rain. But I know the snow is already hitting some places and is expected to really drop a lot of snow in certain parts of the country. 
Yeah, and that's a good point. I think a lot of people say, you know, if it's going to be cold, at least give us a nice white Christmas, you know, right. <laughs> uh, to make it a little bit more festive. But where we will see the most snow as we head into the next couple of days, places, I would say like Michigan, the mitten of Michigan, especially the western half of that state, right off the lake, right off Lake Michigan, that's where we could get about a foot of snow as we head into the night tonight and early tomorrow. For portions of the northeast, like you mentioned, D.C., the coastline up through Boston. We've kind of been unlucky in form of snow so far this year. It looks like this system mainly going to be a rainmaker, but interior portions of the Northeast, we're talking Buffalo, Watertown, where we normally get a lot of snow. They will have a lot of snow as we close out your Friday. Possibly some spots could get up to three feet, which I think up in Mm. Buffalo, maybe Watertown, they're probably saying we already seen enough of it so far this year. So I don't know if they're excited or not, but they definitely will have that white Christmas. Oh, I think they're probably over it, I would guess, already. Up in Buffalo, they've gotten so many feet of snow, and it's not even January yet. So it could be a long winter in those places. I want to come back to some of the travel nightmares. But I have seen this term, Bridget, please help me with this, in some of the headlines about a bomb cyclone, a some sort of winter bomb cyclone, which sounds like a made-up thing to me. What is a What is a bomb cyclone? It is a real thing. So it's called bombogenesis. So basically, areas of low pressure, that's when we normally talk about the yucky weather, talking about snow in the winter, rainstorms. Uh, this is just an area of low pressure that's strengthening really quickly. So dropping from about nine. I think 990 millibars to 967 within a matter of 24 hours. So uh, technically speaking, this type of low pressure, it drops 24 millibars within a matter of 24 hours. So it's dropping in pressure about a millibar an hour. And basically what you need to know, the lower the pressure and the faster it gets to that lower pressure point, that's when it's going to be a stronger storm creating for higher wind, Uh, maybe not necessarily heavier snow. It still creates for snow, but the wind element is what really strengthens in these bomb cyclones. And so I'm taking notes. Bomb cyclone is a new thing. Millibars, I have never heard of that until just now. So I'm just writing this all down. I did see a graphic flashed on the screen on the news channel a minute ago, Bridget. 7,000 flights have been delayed and canceled so far. And I know a lot of people probably long in advance book their tickets. They plan to fly the 22nd, the 23rd, maybe even the 24th. Others are driving, like, you know, my siblings are supposed to drive down from the New York area to the D.C. area tomorrow. I mean, at what point do you start to say maybe you should reconsider? Like, what are the factors where you should start thinking about whether you want to even head to the airport? Is it worth it? Do you want to get out there on the road? Because even if it's not going to be a bunch of snow, which can be its own treachery out on the roads, if it's just cold rain, that with then freezing temperatures afterwards, that can get awfully messy and even slippery. I'm not saying that I don't want people to get where they need to go, but people also need to be smart about it, right? Yeah, and you know, you're probably trying to save yourself the headache this season, but you know, I would if you're traveling, I would start considering it right now. Maybe a plan B. I'm not saying for sure cancel your plans, but start looking into the impacts. Of course, you have to think about the impacts where you're departing, if you're flying and also driving, but also where you land. So it might be fine where you're at. I'm actually in Florida right now. It's oh, fine that's right nice. now for us. <laughs> but if I were to go to the Northeast, 
that's where things can get difficult. And, it, and it's not all about the rain and the snow. Those are big impacts. But we have to talk about the winds because winds are, you know, so difficult for pilots to fly and land, take off. You talk about the crosswinds on the tarmac. That's where it really gets difficult. In some spots like western New York come tomorrow could see those winds 60 to 70 miles per hour in those conditions all the flights will be grounded. So definitely Western New York, Great Lakes area, that's where we see a big wind issue. Yeah, and of course, once you start getting delays and cancellations, they just sort of compound and pile up, and they start this cascading effect where the connecting flights, the aircraft don't get to where they need to be, so then flights get canceled and flight you know, flight crews are stranded in different places. That's where the full-blown nightmare really gets going, and it looks like we're already sort of in the middle of that uh, and the worst could be yet to come. Bridget, you mentioned you're in Florida. Are you at least somewhere, I hope, warm in Florida? Well, warm compared to the rest of the United States. It's seventy. Okay, it's about 70 degrees here. Uh, I'm in ah. Punta Gorda, where, unfortunately, Hurricane Ian hit about three months ago. But, you know, comparatively, it's beautiful weather. It's been kind of overcast, which is always a bummer when you're in the sunshine state. But I'll be the first to say I should not complain. <laughs> Seriously, I know people are like, yes, 70 degrees in Florida sounds not too bad right about now for an awful lot of, <laughs> of Americans. Course. Bridget Mahoney of Fox Weather. Have a very Merry Christmas. Safe travels wherever you're going to end up. Enjoy Florida and best to everyone down there from us. Thank you. You as well. Appreciate it. And I really hope that my siblings are on the ball with this travel tomorrow. Could get ugly out there. All right. We'll break. We'll come back. The Guy Benson Show continues in mere seconds with a conversation you want to hear. In fact, we might get into woke tales. Spoiler alert. Stay tuned. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome back. It's Woke Tales time. Woke Tales. Woo! This one's a doozy from Princeton University out of the Ivy League. Aaron Sabarium at the Washington Free Beacon highlighted a story in the Daily Princetonian talking about the resignation of multiple DEI administrators at Princeton. DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And there is a whole cottage industry of these people professionally woke people. That's their whole job at major corporations, at schools to basically be woke scolds, minders to make sure everyone is thinking and saying the correct things. The amount of money, the overhead that goes into the woke apparatus in some of these places is just mind blowing. But at Princeton, three of these administrators have resigned recently alleging a lack of support. Like the fact that they have jobs at all, this is their title, getting paid a lot of money, to me is like more institutional support than they deserve. I think this is silly. But evidently they felt like they weren't being supported enough. So these three administrators, the DEI folks with an X, F-O-L-X, two of whom are they, them pronoun folks, also with an X, have stepped aside. They're out. One of the they-thems said that the university showed, quote, a complete lack of empathy by asking them to work on the train while they were en route to get a monkeypox vaccine. So you have, whatever, a 
non-binary, non-gender conforming. I don't know exactly what category this they them individual falls under, but apparently this person wanted to get a monkeypox vaccine and had to go take, I guess, time away from work to do it. And the schools basically asked them to, like, check their emails and do a little bit of work while they were commuting to go get the monkeypox vaccine. And that request, that horrific hate crime of a request that you work while you're on the clock was a complete lack of empathy, they said, they being this one person. Another DEI employee or administrator at Princeton said that this is also a they, them. They had anxiety attacks after coaches at the school were resistant to holding, quote, trainings about trans inclusion policy and guidelines. So some of the coaches of like a men's team or a women's team just trying to go out there and get their student athletes to win some games and keep their grades up weren't rushing to have like trans lecture workshops for their teams. And this caused the DEI officer to have anxiety attacks. So they, them also resigned. Then there's a woman named Avina Ross, the only she slash her. So a woman, she left after she experienced what she called the quote, traumatic difficulty of securing a promotion. This is something that BIPOC people experience in higher education all the time at the hands of white leadership, she said. I think BIPOC is, is it black indigenous people of color? I think that's what that particular acronym means. And getting a promotion within this universe, I guess, was difficult and therefore traumatic and I guess evidence of the white supremacy that's still reigning at Princeton. So she's also out. Although I wonder if maybe she quit too soon because it sounds like these other DEI administrators are dropping like flies. There's maybe a lot of room for advancement because everyone else is leaving because the school is so terrible to them. Sibarium, the reporter at the Free Beacon, says they all sound like great employees who contributed positively to the life of the school. <laughs> the fragility of these people, the grievance, the victimhood, the entitlement to quit your cushy administrative job doing woke stuff based on your identity at Princeton. It's just not quite good enough because you want every single thing to be perfectly catered to your sensibilities. What a ridiculous group. And is it any surprise that people in this realm, in this profession, if you can call it that, part of this racket, behave this way? That this is how their minds work and what they feel entitled to. It must be a nightmare to be another kind of HR administrator or something like that at one of these schools, dealing with everyone walking on eggshells, waiting to be offended as performatively as possible, to file lawsuits, complain publicly. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these folks demand some money on the way out and get picked up at the next woke school down the road with their terrible tales of woe in tow. 
as a shot across the bow of the new administration where they work, the new school. Like, hey, I quit Princeton for these reasons. You better treat me exactly the way I want unless you want to be called a bigot publicly because we'll do that. This is when the wokes turn on each other. This is when the revolution eats itself. You would think at some point the actual adults in the room of all identities would put their foot down and say enough of this. We're trying to run a serious place here, but I guess the madness rules the day still for now at places like Princeton. See where these folks land. What savvy, motivated employees they must be. Wouldn't you be eager to bring them onto your team? The Guy Benson Show is back with more right after this break. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, our website here on the program. Thank you for listening. Here's an upsetting story from the New York Times out of Afghanistan. The Afghan government on Tuesday barred women from attending private and public universities, officials said, in the latest severe blow to women's rights under a Taliban administration that has all but reinstituted the hardline rule the group maintained during its first stretch in power during the 1990s. I just say that if the Taliban keeps this up, they'll be admitted soon into the U.N. Women's Rights Commission based on the way that that place is run. The move, the Times reports, is the most recent sign that the Taliban's leadership has cast aside any intent to moderate. And it is the realization of fears that 20 years of Western human rights and governance initiatives could be undone after the Taliban took power last year. The new government in recent weeks has reinstated Sharia law, carried out public floggings across the country, and conducted one public execution, I could say one that we know of. All that is likely to threaten the influx of badly needed international aid that has kept Afghanistan from the brink of famine as it grapples with a devastating economic collapse. The news on Tuesday delivered in a letter from the Higher Education Ministry and confirmed by the ministry spokesman was crushing to Afghan women who have been raised in an era of relative opportunity but who have seen their rights slowly erased since the Western-backed government collapsed in late summer of 2021. So really not slowly erased, rapidly erased. And, of course, this was going to happen. This was predictable and predicted. The Biden administration has said that the cornerstone of their foreign policy would be human rights, women's rights, LGBT rights, and then they turned over Afghanistan completely to the Taliban. And surprise, they are completely subjugating girls and women again. Now, there are a lot of reasons to not have exited Afghanistan the way that we did. I think human rights components have to be part of the discussion. But when you're talking about extricating the United States from a lengthy military engagement and occupation somewhere... There are other factors that come into play, and you can say even though this was going to be probably a big disaster on the human rights front, maybe it was the right thing for the U.S. to do anyway. But we also, in terms of the national interest, screwed up very badly in the way that we got out of Afghanistan. The deadly, the chaotic withdrawal on President Biden's watch. He promised it would be orderly. He promised it would be done in a sensible and responsible way. 
He promised that everyone who helped us would be given safe passage out of the country, that we wouldn't leave Americans behind. And all of those promises were broken, shattered into a million pieces. One of the most disgraceful debacles I can remember, where we left thousands of Americans behind, tens of thousands of our allies behind. And imagine now the sense of abandonment from these women and girls. They had had an opportunity to advance, to get educated, to make lives for themselves in that country. And now you've got these prehistoric thugs, basically, running the show. Turning the clock back in a way that is unimaginable, I would say, for anyone who lives in a free country or even a reasonably free country. Like early century caveman type stuff. It's just awful. And it's not hypothetical. These are the real lives of so many people who live there. There was a video that went viral of young women just weeping in agony because the future that they had envisioned for themselves has just been completely cut off and killed. They can no longer go to school. Like, it's over. They are now, like, third-class citizens. Weeping for themselves, weeping for future generations of girls. It's just hard to listen to. Here's a little bit of Cut 15. Like, you could just hear the grief. They've been through a lot. God knows what they've seen with the Taliban taking over, a terrorist organization, and now their worst fears have come true. These abject misogynists have seized control. They can't govern anything. International aid is keeping people fed in that country, but they are making sure that women and girls really can't do much of anything. They can be covered in head to toe. They can bear children, and that's about it. Predictable and predicted. Meanwhile, I saw this story from foxnews.com. Speaking of our failures and our broken promises to people, headline, U.S.-trained Afghan commando expected a hero's welcome, but is now imprisoned facing deportation at the Texas border. An elite Afghan commando trained by the U.S. has been imprisoned in Texas for crossing the southern border, seeking asylum in the country he once fought alongside. Abdul Wasi Safi went into hiding when the last U.S. plane left Afghanistan after Kabul's fall in August of 2021 and ventured across two continents in hopes of earning a special immigrant visa to reside in the U.S. legally. Instead, he was arrested at the border, trying to cross the Rio Grande. With the Taliban hunting him, he could face certain death if his deportation is carried out. First of all, this speaks to the border crisis, where the word is out all over the globe. If you want to come into the U.S., come to the southern border. Now, this guy surrendered himself, trying to present himself, saying, hey, this is me. I helped your country. I sacrificed, I risked my life to help your war effort in my country. You trained me. Please let me stay. And the worry is that he could get deported. I don't want to believe that that's possible. 
Knowing this administration, knowing how backward so many things are right now, I wouldn't be completely shocked if that did happen. But just part of me hopes it is impossible that we would actually take this man, fly him back to Afghanistan, deport him to his home country to reabandon him there with a horrible fate awaiting him at the hands of the Taliban. That can't happen. And just the desperation of people like this to have to figure out how they can get themselves to our southern border, to give themselves a shot when they were promised something very different by the United States government. Promised. Not some little like, oh, I promise you're going to get this Christmas present. Promise, if we leave, we're going to make sure that you can get out of your country and not get murdered. That's a promise that must be kept and wasn't tens of thousands of times over. And so we see desperate situations like this playing out. It's just awful. I saw a story in the Washington Post that the Biden administration says they're not too worried about some of the Republican investigations that might be launched in the new year with the new Republican majority, but they are worried about the Afghan oversight. And looking back at that withdrawal, now that there's going to be like subpoena power and actual oversight and accountability, well, guess what? They should be worried about that. A fiasco and a shameful chapter in our nation's history, and it's at the feet of the commander-in-chief. This should be one of the very top priorities for Republicans next year, and yes, the administration is right to be worried. They've earned that worry, richly. Guy Benson Show back next. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. Back here on The Guy Benson Show, I'm pleased to welcome Sean Reyes, who is the Attorney General in the state of Utah. And Mr. Attorney General, thanks for joining us. Guy, it's a pleasure. Merry Christmas. Uh, Happy holidays to you and your listeners. Merry Christmas to you. This is a tough subject, though, that I wanted to bring you on about. I know that your office has been focused on it. Child pornography, child exploitation, and those horrible phenomena popping up on social media. I know this has been part of the conversation around Twitter The previous regime, Elon Musk saying that was going to be more of a point of emphasis now under his leadership, and Twitter is saying it has now nearly doubled its daily suspensions on accounts that share this type of material. Based on what you're seeing in your line of work, how serious is this problem, and what should parents be concerned about when it comes to social media and the proliferation of this type of material? Well, Guy, I I think Elon inherited – a veritable crime scene of child porn, what we call child sexual exploitation material or, or child sexual abuse material, CSAM, CSEM. And it is, uh, it is unbelievable the, the amount that was being proliferated through the Twitter platform. And I, and I first, before I address your question about parents, want to applaud Elon Musk and his team, Ella Irwin, who is the new head of trust and safety there is doing uh, yeoman's work. It's, it's Herculean efforts. Elon made it a top priority, hyper-prioritized that uh, even before the, the transaction was finished and uh, what was an under-resourced, uh, underfunded department or division now is a top priority. And you can see, I think you, you articulated some of the the results, I think you talked about suspensions in November alone. They suspended uh, about 300,000 accounts, I think 44,000 maybe one day in November. So yeah. uh, I, I, re- I remember seeing you recently on Gutfeld 
uh, guy, if I if I recall, and, and and there were they were there was a statement that uh, Elon made about doing more in in one month than the prior uh, owners had um, in ten years. I think that's that's fairly accurate, more than what they've done during the entire existence uh, of the platform, at least in creating a culture of absolute intolerance for child sexual abuse and and materials. Uh, but parents have to be vigilant. Um, we're not advocating that they get rid of all devices. That's nearly impossible. I and mean, kids are going to be on devices, but spending more time and understanding the different types of um, tools that parents have to proactively limit access to these kinds of materials, that's what parents can do. And then what we need to do as AGs and others who have the ability to is hold people accountable, whether it's Twitter or TikTok, and we can talk about from either of those or, or other platforms, Guy. Yeah, let's get to TikTok in just a second. I just want to add this as an aside. There's been a lot of discussion recently about the FBI's involvement with Twitter, and I believe one of the Twitter files threads described the FBI's engagement with Twitter officials under the previous regime as constant and pervasive. They were coordinating all the time. There are questions about you know, due process. Were FBI agents and officials sort of getting Twitter employees to do the government's bidding without the oversight of warrants and that sort of thing. Was the FBI wading into areas that is beyond their pay grade, like what counts as political misinformation, political opinions of Americans getting stifled on that platform? That seems totally inappropriate to me, to the extent that the FBI was doing that frequently, it would seem. But I have said it would make sense for the FBI to be in constant contact with any number of these platforms on issues like child pornography. And it sounds like maybe some of that was happening, but perhaps the priorities were elsewhere. And as a result, you just had an explosion of this kind of exploitation and content all over the platform in a way that was uh, just really scary. I mean, 300,000 suspensions in a month is, is disturbing to me. I just kind of wonder, like, what was the FBI doing if they weren't focused on protecting the most vulnerable people in our society? from people who are literally breaking the law, why would they be wasting their time on anything else? Right, right. No, I think you, you hit it on the head. It's very troubling if they were uh, colluding, to, for lack of a better word, with Twitter um, to suppress certain viewpoints or certain information or even evidence uh, that could have come to light uh, you know, through the platform. Uh, what they should have been doing, which clearly they weren't, because if they had, you would not have had this nightmare of child CSEM uh, so prevalent. Uh, what they weren't doing, and, I, and, and you again touched on this, is coordinating closely to investigate, prosecute, and put pressure on the platform to limit the type of uh, conduct that was was rampant. And, and let me throw this out because Ella, again, I've been in contact, I've been working with her. Uh, she sent me some other just recent statistics for, because they're deploying prior to Elon coming on. They, they, they didn't use the, the latest and greatest technology since then. They, they've been putting so many resources uh, towards that. So 98% drop in impressions on CSE content. They're using high precision keywords. Uh, 100% increase on proactive detection. So you're detecting, you're preventing, and then you're removing this type of content. Good. I, I really just can't underscore enough how significant that is because for those of us who do this every day and are in this fight, uh, whether on the internet or the dark web against child 
uh, predators. It, it is so inspiring to have someone in the private sector on our side doing something proactively uh, like they're doing at Twitter. Well, that's what should happen, right? Like there's there's all sorts of controversies out there. and People disagree on things and they yell at each other where basically every good and decent person in the world agrees is the overall realm of protecting children from this type of thing. And to the extent that it was a secondary or tertiary concern previously at Twitter, and it's much more of a primary concern now, that is unequivocally a good development. I hope we see more of that. Very briefly, Mr. Attorney General, my guest Sean Reyes from Utah, TikTok. We're talking about Twitter because I know that's a big talking point these days, a big firestorm happening on that platform. But TikTok, my understanding is this is a huge problem on that platform as well. Yeah, Forbes just recently did an article, I thought well done, that uh, brought to light many of the concerns that we have had. And, And if you think Twitter was bad, in some ways TikTok is even worse. And they're marketing it to parents and regulators and the public generally as, hey, this is a child-friendly app. Um, that's what it's, uh, you know, that's what it's promoted as on the, 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 not just the platform, but when you go into the Apple store or you buy it um, through the through Google Play. And in reality, it's the, it's the opposite. The amount of exploitation material is not only rampant, but it's very easily available through either private accounts that they create, uh, so they're hiding in plain sight, um, or through, I mean, it's very quickly you can see uh, links that immediately will divert a young person over to an OnlyFans page, for example, where who knows what uh, is going on there. So, yeah, we're, we're serious. I say we, we in my office, the Utah AG's office, but other state AGs, particularly Republican AGs, this is an, an area for us that we've been looking at carefully, closely. There's investigations that are undergo uh, uh, that are underway. Uh, my colleague uh, Todd Rokita in Indiana has filed a lawsuit, and we're looking uh, very closely at uh, similarly filing a lawsuit uh, against TikTok on that. Maybe it's a consumer protection issue because they're holding themselves out uh, to a certain standard that they're not meeting. Uh, but it's well, it's just like kids. predominantly younger people on that platform, which is now such a dominant platform, especially among the younger generation. And it's not just Twitter. It's TikTok, too. And some of this falls on folks like you to try to clean up and enforce. Some of it falls on the platforms themselves, and some of it also falls on parents, which is why I want to make sure that people listening to this show are aware of the problem, even though it's a tough one and not a pleasant one to talk about, especially at the holidays. Sean Reyes is the attorney general in Utah, our guest on this subject. Mr. Attorney General, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your work on this matter, and have a Merry Christmas. Likewise, Guy. Merry Christmas to you. God bless. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up next. Cat Timp is here. It's Thursday with Cat. When we return, straight ahead. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Guy Benson. 
It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show as we are so close to Christmas. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free on demand every day. And that's around the clock. And bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show. That's Twitter. That's also Instagram at Guy Benson Show. Or follow me and or follow me, I should say, on both platforms, my personal account at Guy P. Benson. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Delicious. All year round. Very festive at the holidays. You can use it as a mixer if you'd like. Maybe throw a little apple cider in there. Or just drink it straight up, which is how it's intended. That's how I prefer it. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can find out where it's sold near you. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. Well, often we do Fridays with Cat. But I'm off tomorrow. So it's Thursdays with Cat. Cat Timph, our friend is here, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel, and also co-host of the hit podcast, Tyrus and Timph. Cat, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for the little gift basket that you and Cam sent us. It's delightful. Oh, Merry Christmas. You are welcome. Thank you for, you know, your friendship and, uh, you know, letting us stay over also. Oh, Absolutely our pleasure. It was very classy. There was cheese in there, fresh fruit, some salami, some nuts and chocolates. It was a delightful gift. And yes, I'm sure you can you we, can probably tell who placed that order. <laughs> well, <laughs> Between please, the two of us. Yeah, please tell him thank you. Yes, yes, and I will. It He's was driving right now. Very, Cam, guy says thank you. He says you're welcome. Now, <laughs> are you in the car? I did say, hey, Cam, are you guys driving to Detroit or are you already there? We're here now. We went to Target to look for Christmas pajamas, but it's like if we wanted Christmas stuff, I think we had to come in October. It's all Valentine's Day now. Everything's gone. That's so disappointing. I mean, I feel like you should be able to get Christmas stuff on December 22nd. How was the drive from New York City to Michigan? Well, I didn't drive, so I sat in the back. We drive because of Cheens. Cheens, he Uh, has some, you know, health needs. He needs medicine. This is your cat, people, just for people who yeah, don't but, who don't know. It changes 12, the cat. My 12-and-a-half-year-old okay. cat who has some health issues, needs medicine every day. The list of people who he will allow to do that without clawing their face off is, like, three people and then, like, professionals. There's not really an option for anyone to stay over and take care of him over Christmas because it's Christmas. Uh, uh, and he can't fly because of one of those health issues. He'll have a heart attack and die. So we got to drive, baby. And uh, What is know, that, like 12? I don't help. 12 hours, 10 hours? Yeah, it's about 10 hours, but then with stops, it's, like, closer to probably 12 hours. Um, Are you a backseat you know, driver? No, I was a backseat zoologist because we had Carl and we had Sheens, and they're playing, like, emotional warfare against each other because Carl <laughs> has to be belted into the car because he'll run around and he'll try to jump on the steering wheel he doesn't understand. So Carl's the Carl dog. Tries to, yes, Carl's, the, Carl's not a human. <laughs> Carl's the dog. <laughs> Carl... Carl's not like a random tweaker who rides with us. He tries to jump everywhere. He's a French bulldog. So we'll be, I'll be sitting there. Carl will take up too much room. And my friend Keith, you know, who's based on my brother, you know Keith, he comes with us as well. Carl yep. was taking up too much room on my lap. So Cheens was upset. So Cheens went to go sit on Keith's lap as a form of emotional warfare to show Carl. Because Carl would really like to be up front with Keith, but he's belted in. And then also to mm. show me that, like, I'm not being loyal. So then Carl starts crying, and then we let, you know, he, we eventually let Carl sit up with Keith and Sheen's back with me. But it's, you know, it's, and then they both be sitting in the car for 12 hours. When we got to my dad's at 3 in the morning, they, all they want to do is run around the house and chase each other. So 
But we're all that settled now. So does not sound fun. Honestly, that did not sound fun at all. Are you no. getting at all into the Christmas spirit? Because I know that you generally are not in the Christmas spirit almost ever. For no. example, a few weeks ago, it was full-blown Christmas season in New York, and you and I were there together. We were going to go have dinner, and we walked out of the Fox headquarters building in Midtown Manhattan, and there were a bunch of tourists all over the place. There's the Fox Square Christmas tree. There's the Rockefeller Center tree a few blocks away. And you said to no one in particular, they can't get away with this. And the with this that you were talking about was just Christmas. <laughs> Christmas I said, I said, I, I, Why did it? How, how are they going to do this? They can't do this. How are they going to do this? And you just looked at me and you said, Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yes. Well, because, yes, because it's so hard to get a car. And then, like, one of those little petty cabs, like bike cabs, you know, comes by and it's playing like a Christmas song. I yelled. I was like, yeah, we know. We yeah. know. It's Christmas. I love my favorite thing about Christmas. Again, I've told you this, is spending time with my family. So um, I'm very excited. Uh, we left a little early because of the storm, and there's nothing yet, but it's supposed to start this afternoon. It's supposed to get snow here in Michigan. But, I mean, you know, the way they talk about this stuff, I get freaked out. And they're saying it's like a once-in-a-generational storm, and we're driving. So I was like, I, I actually took off a couple of days, which I never do. Well, um, even we talking- if... Yeah. Even if it doesn't end up being totally epic, just driving in any sort of bad weather is a complete nightmare. And you might not make it from New York to Michigan, honestly. So I think leaving when you did was a very smart play because at least you're there. And if there's this biblical storm, you're doing something that you actually like, which is being around your family. Exactly. Yes. But I was, we were talking about the storm out numbered yesterday and right before I was leaving. And I was freaking out. I had people emailing me and saying, like, you better bring some fire logs and, uh, and lighter fluid. I was like, listen. If we get into a situation where I need a fire log, it's over for me. Like, <laughs> like if I need to set up a camp, like, where do you think I'm going that I'm going to set up a camp in a wilderness? If it gets to that point, I give up. The hypothermia I feel like, overtake me. Well, your husband might be resourceful That's in true, that sort yeah. of circumstance. Like, I would rely on him for your survival, not vice versa. Uh, yeah, I would detecting a pattern needs. here. I think that's right. And I, I always say, like, if some sort of Armageddon-type event were to arrive anywhere near where I live, I would be one of the first people to go, right? Some people would have their panic room and their go bag and all of their backup supplies and all their prepper stuff. And after about a day, I'd be like, oh, I'm really hungry. Is there a sushi restaurant that's open? And when the answer would be no, I would be just one big leap towards death at that point. So yeah, I think I you and I are sort Armageddon of— Armageddon getting all the attention? <laughs> You'd be like, I can't even post about this because all the yeah. social media platforms are down. It's so selfish of Armageddon. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, so I wanted to ask you this question, Kat, and there was a headline. I'm seeing it from CBS News at this woman's office party at the White Elephant sort of swap exchange. She was given a lottery ticket. And she won the lottery with that ticket. She won $175,000. And first of all, that's a very nice payday. That's a whole lot of money. That's also not $175 million, right? $175,000. I think sometimes people ask me about, you know, what would you do if you won the lottery? And I have this very sort of logical series of answers. But it has to be over a certain amount of money. If it's one hundred and seventy-five grand. I don't think, you know, I'll probably give a little bit, you know, to church and charity and that sort of thing. But that's not a massively, completely change your lifestyle, go buy a bunch of houses type windfall. 
So 175 grand, I'm probably not telling very many people hanging on to that money and being pretty conservative about it. But it's a nice hook into a story, which is a couple weeks ago, whenever the big, I forget what they call it, the big mega millions, Powerball, whatever, national lotto was up to some huge sum of money, like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, I think. Our colleague Tammy Bruce was co-hosting, I think it was, maybe the, the weekend show, the big show with me. We were at Fox over a weekend is all I remember. And she walked into the green room one day and just started handing out Powerball tickets to everyone, including myself, which I thought was a very nice gesture. Apparently she does this sometimes. And I started to actually internally wonder, let's say that ticket purchased for me by Tammy Bruce at Fox was the winning ticket. And I all of a sudden was worth like half a billion dollars overnight. Do I have an obligation as a point of gratitude to give some substantial chunk of that money to Tammy Bruce? Or are all bets off at that point? Like, how would you play it under that circumstance? Yeah, you have absolutely no obligation, but I probably would. You know, if we're talking like half a billion dollars. Yeah, throw her $10 million or something. Yeah, I was going to say $10 million. Don't give her her 10 bucks. Be like, listen, coffee's on me. But would you keep (laughs) working? Thank you so much. Here's a gift card. I would keep working probably. Oh, absolutely. I would I would be bored. I'd be bored to tears I, yeah. not working. Right. Yeah, I'd probably be it. a little bit more um, willing to kind of cut loose and say things because yeah. it's sort of like, what are you going to do, fire me? Right. I've got, exactly. You might have heard. You might have heard in the news that I made $600 million on the a lotto jackpot, so I'm going to go and right. say the thing and, you know, right. whatever. So I, I might approach the job slightly differently, but I would absolutely keep working. Because otherwise, you know, having all the money in the world is fine. It's not really anything that I would have earned exactly. And I feel like a big important part of a purposeful, satisfying life is to have work that gives you, you know, meaning and and excitement every day. And and I love what I do. And I know you do too. So I would be just, you know, I would just, but I would lord my wealth over some of the most successful colleagues that we have who make much more money than we do. Of course. I would just sort of like leave, I would leave like bank statements around. Like yes. in Gutfeld's office. It's like, oops, did I leave that in there? So, oh, I'm so sorry, Greg. How embarrassing. Yes, of course. I would just I would just bring like wads of hundreds in the green room and just juggle them. You know, <laughs> just like I learned to juggle. You wouldn't so give them to that. people. You would juggle them and show them to people and yes. then take them in your bag and leave. Yes. I would just bring a duffel bag of hundreds with me everywhere I went and I'd just drop them. Oh, I'm so sorry. I think I left my wads of hundreds in here. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. What could go wrong in New York? Like, yeah. that's the girl. I saw what she has in the duffel bag. I don't think you'd last long. Well, I'd be taking a chopper to work, obviously. Oh, okay. That's that's fair. From from yeah. rooftop to rooftop? Yeah. Yeah, I call that's... it air chains. Well, and you could probably at that point get a private jet, obviously, to take you home to Michigan. And then you right. would have to, you know, you could you could avoid these nightmare 10 to 12-hour drives. You went the wrong way. Oh, sorry, we're almost home. But yeah, see this. This is true. why you need a helicopter. Exactly. I, right, I your have, chopper yeah. pilot isn't making a wrong turn. Right. That's true. He better not, because there'd be a bunch of people lined up waiting. Uh, by the way, speaking of transportation and private jets, I want to get your take on another news item that I just saw a headline about the other day. Cat Timf is our guest. Back with more Thursdays with Cat on the Guy Benson Show right after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next.
Our friend Kat Timpf is with us here on The Guy Benson Show. I saw this story. I want to get your take on it. Apparently, reportedly, some U.S. airlines are lobbying the federal government to reduce or relax or eliminate the regulation that requires two pilots to be in the cockpit on all flights. And I understand I fly a lot. I know you do, too. I understand that it might reduce costs and maybe bring down the price of airline tickets a little bit, but I'm willing to pay a little bit more to have two trained living people up in the cockpit in case something goes wrong. I, I'm I am not comfortable with the idea of having just all of the eggs in the basket of one single pilot. I would pay a premium for for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, it's saving a couple bucks. You feel really stupid on your on your way down. If something went wrong, right? Right. The one time you're like, well, <laughs> cumulatively, I've saved a couple hundred dollars this year on air travel because yes. of this. But now the guy had a heart attack, and we're all doomed. I, I don't think yes. that's a good trade off. I will say, I, I have a friend who is very, very successful, and so is her husband, and they use private jets somewhat regularly. Something that I have literally never done in my life, but they do it sort of often to get to various homes that they own and that kind of thing. And she was saying, like, I will only travel in a private jet that is large enough to have two pilots, and I will only travel in a private jet that, in fact, is manned by two pilots. And I just sat there. I was like, same, same girl. I'm exactly – that's, that's, my, that's my standard as well. Man, I would love to have that be my standard. Although but, I will tell yeah. you this. My husband, who you know and love very much, Adam, his dad is an amateur pilot, and he has a little single-prop plane. It's not a jet by any stretch. It's like a single-prop plane. I don't think I've told this story before on the air, but it was either earlier this year or late last year, Adam's parents were flying from where they live in Colorado to another small airport somewhere else in Colorado, and they were kind of over the Rocky Mountains, And mid-flight over the mountains, the engine died on this plane. Yeah, like it stalled, and it was not turning back on. And it was super, super scary. Adam's mom was, like, texting him from the sky about, like, where the will is and that sort of thing in case things ended badly. I didn't know about any of this until it was all over, thank God, because it turned out well. But my father-in-law was well-trained as an amateur pilot. He went into, like, full-blown emergency mode, got on the radio, was able to glide this airplane down to the airport, land successfully. They had all the emergency vehicles out by the runway just in case. And there were, like, commercial airline pilots who – like, they stopped all air traffic around this area just to help him uh, survive, basically. And so he landed successfully. And he had, like, United Airlines pilots, like, giving him thumbs up and, like, applauding for pulling that off. That is an absolute nightmare for me. And I don't think that story has been told publicly. So I just wanted to, like, tip my cap to Steve, who landed that puppy like like a champ. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have just died of a heart attack. (laughs) You would have panicked. You would have thrown yourself out of the plane. Yeah, I don't think I have the emotional fortitude to even get through that. Physically. Oh, no, I I would have been, I don't know, overwhelmed, 
praying constantly, I would not have been in a good place. Um, no. I'm sure producer Christine would have been perfectly calm. I would have been praying. And, like, I, I, I'm not even religious. <laughs> I, I only become – like, I, I start – I've done that before. You know, when I really feel like I'm a big – you just start praying as, like, a reflex. Yep. All of a sudden you're like, uh, how does the Lord's Prayer go again? It's our Father. It starts there. Oh. Uh, but it all worked out. He landed the plane. He's like, I'm going to have my mechanic uh, take a look at it. I'm like, yeah, you might want to get a second, second opinion on that from a different mechanic given what happened to this plane. But that story popped into my head because of this news item about how airlines are like, eh, no, one pilot's probably fine. No. I mean, Steve pulled it off, but I think you've got a plane full of, like, hundreds of innocent people. I think two people who know how to land the thing probably is the bare minimum. Uh, wow, this this took quite a turn, this, this conversation really, right before sure. Christmas. Yeah. Well, everybody's okay, so... Everyone's fine. It's a happy ending. You're home with your whole menagerie of pets and loved ones and best friend and husband and the whole thing. Stay warm in Michigan, Cat. Have a great time off. Recharge the batteries. I'll be seeing you, I know, in the new year on this show, on Gutfeld, uh, all the fun stuff together. But Merry Christmas to you. Uh, We love having you on the show. Happy New Year as well, since we won't see each other at least before the new year. And uh, we love having you here, and I can't wait for more. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year! Look, next year's our our big year, okay? We're gonna we're gonna do some great things. <laughs> Thank you. That's very convincing pep talk. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate it. And and my best to Cam. I know who's your chauffeur at the moment as well. Cat Timp, our friend here. She is the co-host of Gutfeld on Fox News Channel 11 p.m. Eastern every night. Fox News contributor, co-host of Tyrus and Timp the podcast. All right, Kat, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. It's the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, and we will be right back. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. Earlier today on the Guy Benson Show, we welcomed back Brian Kilmeade, host of the Brian Kilmeade Show on Fox News Radio, co-host of Fox and Friends, and also host of One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Every Saturday at 8 p.m., those two TV shows are on Fox News Channel. He's a best-selling author. His latest is The President and the Freedom Fighter, now out in paperback. Here's part of the conversation that I had earlier, wide-ranging with Brian Kilmeade. And look, Brian, we have colleagues here who have different viewpoints. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I will just say, as someone who is a fairly traditional conservative in a lot of ways, not in every way, I'm a little puzzled by the intense hostility toward President Zelensky from Ukraine among a certain part of the right. I don't I don't get it. I can understand some criticisms of Ukraine and corruption and, you know, wondering about the dollar amounts that are being spent and where's all the money going. That seems somewhat reasonable to me. And like, hey, you know, we're doing all this stuff for Ukraine. We're not securing the border. There are some points to be made out there. But like the hatred, the hostility toward Ukraine and its leader is something that I truly don't understand personally. I have nothing but respect for the guy. Uh, you know, there are things going on. I looked up a couple of things. The accusations are, well, he's shutting down free speech. No, he isn't. There were two Russian-owned stations by oligarchs. They were pumping out anti-Ukrainian government stuff. So he's like, listen, I'm in a, I'm in a war. We're shutting this down. And the other thing is there's a Russian Orthodox church right in the capital, and he was con- he's getting reports that they are basically a spy source, and some or some members are. Uh, for the Russian government, can't take any chances. I remember mm-hmm. personally that we were putting the FBI in certain mosques during the height of our hunt for bin Laden to make sure the next attack wasn't taking place there. It's not we're anti-Muslim. We're trying to be a little savvy. Ukraine has their different way of handling things. And they do have to worry about the Russians who are right 
you know, right next door, coming in and becoming spies or, or you know, and, and, and reporting his movements, for example. My full Brian Kilmeade interview available online, GuyBensonShow.com, also part of the free podcast. The whole show on demand, start to finish, totally free every day, plus bonus Benson on the weekends, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, our last one as a team for the year. Producer Christine has a review of a show that she saw, not a TV show, a Christmas pageant. And the reviews are rough. We'll get to that next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch. On the Guy Benson Show, GuyBensonShow.com, podcast free every day. I'll be on special report tonight with Brett Baer on the panel. Looking forward to that. If you're listening on the broadcast, little Mariah Christmas action coming in from break. And you know what? It's almost a Christmas miracle. It's the 22nd of December, and I'm not sick of that song yet. I have really been careful about my diet of listening to that song. If you don't oversaturate too early... It is a great song, an absolute classic, and I do enjoy it. It's awesome. It's just overplayed. But hearing it, it just had my toe tapping. It brought a smile to my face. Fantastic stuff. Really good Christmas music, unlike what apparently played out at producer Christine's daughter's school last night. So we got an indication that this concert might be... A little rough. I guess Christine had seen some of the rehearsal or something like that. So she was nervous about how this would play out. Usually, though, in my experience of having done a bunch of concerts as a kid around Christmas time, although they usually try to make the Christmas songs as ecumenical and non-religious as possible, at least in public school. I think Christine's daughter goes to Catholic school, so it's probably different. But it's a little bit of chaos and... The music teacher is stressed out, but ultimately the kids get up there and everyone looks cute and they pull it off and the parents are all misty-eyed and it works out. Not last night. Apparently it just it didn't come together last night. And Christine on the call today was just absolutely giving like two thumbs down, just brutal, unsparing reviews to what she witnessed last night from Megan and her classmates at the Christmas concert. And, Christine, I have to say that I thought maybe you were being a little bit harsh. And, you know, let's get in the spirit of Christmas by not dumping on a bunch of nine-year-olds. But then you did send a little snippet, a clip, of part of the show. And, well, I will warn the audience, this clip only plays for about 20 seconds, but it's some tough sledding. To get through those 20 seconds, let's listen together if we must to cut 18. (laughs) And they just kind of peter out there at the end. I think they were trying to do, what's the musical term, a round, where there are some kids singing one part and other kids singing another part. And the result there was probably not the desired effect, I think, from whoever was putting that together, the the music teacher. And 
I'm sure Megan was excellent. We're going to say Megan was diligent and on pitch and on point. But collectively, um, yeah. I'll say this. My sister is an elementary music school teacher, and she takes the Christmas-winter concert thing very seriously because parents do. It's a lot of stress. We hear all about it. She sends us the videos, and ultimately she usually gets the train on the track, and it's good. I'm going to play her that clip later when she arrives uh, for Christmas, and I think that she will probably have nightmares about it, actually. Christine, give us a, a sense of how people were reacting. Paint a picture for us in the room as that concert was playing out. Oh, my. And can I just say something? That was one of the better ones because this concert on. went on for an hour and a half. Oh, no. And it it wasn't getting better. And let me just tell you, once the band came on, nobody knew what they were playing. Nobody had a clue. <laughs> I mean, we're all looking around and we're like, is this a song? <laughs> what, what What's happening? <laughs> they would, And then the teacher would stop it and say, no, 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 we got to start all over. There was a lot of start and stops. Oh. He wanted to start over. He looked so stressed. Um, the one person that you don't want at that concert, and I made the big mistake of bringing grandma, is Judgy oh. Joyce. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's in her name. Judgy Joyce, was she judging hard? Oh, I mean, it was no, it, it was loud, too. She's like, oh, God, here it goes. Here goes the high pitch. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. Oh, is this, they, what are they doing? I mean, it didn't stop. And then she would judge the older girl what is that girl wearing is, is the priest falling asleep chris i think they, go look over there I she sounds the she sounds like one of the uh you know the like the two cranky old men muppets right who <laughs> sit up in the balcony and complain and make fun of it that's judgy joyce and she's trying to make eye contact with me every time a new performance happens. And I refuse to look over at her i could feel her <laughs> and then i started to feel the poking you know she's poking me to look like at her nudging and like, you no, like hey no get a load of this <laughs> bobby's head was just in his hands most of the time i'm, I'm oh. not making it up i'm not making it up it got worse um you said you said at one point judgy <sighs> joyce was laughing uncontrollably like oh you use you use the verb cackle i mean but not caring and i was like mom there are other parents here that are actually enjoying this. Like one parent after came up to me and said, how beautiful was that? And I looked at her and she goes, I really almost cried. And I said, yeah, I wanted to say to her, me too, because I'm paying for this. This is a <laughs> private school. I'm paying. And Megan goes to extra band lessons. Oh, and no. The whole car ride guy, I was livid. I mean, I was so angry. And But every time I would critique something, I would turn around in the back and I'd look at Megan and I'd go, but you were amazing. <laughs> like, I would give another criticism. I'm like, but, but you were great. She even knew it. She's like, Mommy, did that even sound good? And I said, not really, no. Megan. You said at one point that, it got so bad that just the singing stopped. Like they couldn't even finish a song. The singers quit, collectively quit. It just drifted. And the music was still going and it just drifted and the kids just stopped. Um, and the grades above didn't get better. I'm like, oh, you know what? By the time we get, this is fourth grade. By the time we get to fifth or sixth, it's going to get better. No, no, it didn't. 
it actually got worse. So <laughs> and having to do I, this for an hour uh, and a half, 90 minutes of this, I feel like this stuff should be like 25, 30 minutes and you're done. Yeah. And my mother kept reminding me every you know few minutes how long in we were. Oh, 45 in. How much longer do you think we got here? And I'm like, well, mom. And then there was no program. They never gave us a program. There was no introduction. So my mother kept saying, you know, if we had a program, we would see how far along we are. And I'm like, mom, we're not leaving until the end. So just hold your flowers, sit there. And when your granddaughter comes over, you tell her she was amazing. Did she even deliver the flowers? Or did she very dramatically put them into the garbage can at the performance (laughs) conclusion? Well, no, she delivered the flowers, looked around to the other kids and said, well, guess I'm the only grandma here that brought flowers. Oh, like, you know, she couldn't believe it. Oh, oh. A <laughs> big production from Judgy Joyce, too. Oh, gosh. This sounds like a Christmas classic memory. And I have to say, in defense of the kids, when you're talking about elementary school children, if a holiday concert goes off the rails that badly... I don't want to be judgmental or throw anyone specific under the bus, but that is on the adult slash adults in charge of the concert, and that's a preparation issue. Like, I feel like you have to start getting the kids ready for that concert in October, and you just drill ahead every day with the song until everyone knows it. And it sounds like, was this a new teacher or something? Because it seems like the ball was dropped in a major way where if you're paying tuition and stuff like or even just taxes for public school, parents expect a holiday concert to be not amazing and spectacular, but cute and sort of adorable. And if it's not even really quite approaching that, like it's not cute, bad, it's bad, bad. Ugh, that's that's not fun. That's not the goal. And think about, you know, people taking off of work to get there like just put a little more effort as a teacher into it. I'm not blaming the kids at all. I just don't think they were prepared. I also don't think uh, nine-year-olds should be singing Christmas canon. I think maybe a little Jingle Bell Rock or, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. Something that maybe they know so they can really learn how to perform it. Uh, that is why, Guy Benson, I think that I'm going to volunteer my services and take over the Christmas concert next no. year. No, no. I what? mean, it, it sounds like it was not good, but... For the love of God, we don't need this to get any worse. I mean, I think that the performance would be extremely bad. You're not a musical person, you know, with all love and respect. And I just feel like, if anything, your stress levels. Oh, we know even as class mom, you couldn't even, like, cut it. You couldn't even do the basics as class mom, let alone holiday concert, Christmas concert coordinator. But the stress levels would be off the charts. Like, you'd you'd probably be in tears yourself reducing the kids to panicked crying. Parents would be very upset. They'd be like, who is that new music teacher? Did I smell, like, booze on her breath? Who is that? Is that someone's mom? Like, I just feel like this is not a solution for improvement. I agree that improvement is probably necessary. I'm just not sure that is the solution. Maybe you just leave a bad Yelp review and let the process take care of itself. I just, I don't know. Let's tap the brakes on this idea, Christine. It was bad. It, but I, I think that I really could make it better. <laughs> I, I, I'm being dead serious. And also, we brought Megan's best friend with us, same age. Uh, she goes to public school. She whispered to me at one point, you pay for this? 
a nine-year-old. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, just kids say the darndest things, and that was a bit of a knife twist. Well, Merry Christmas. I love how our final, because I'm off tomorrow and then next week, our final home stretch ahead of Christmas and of the new year is two adults dumping on a children's Christmas concert for how bad it was. <laughs> I wasn't even there. I, look, I'm just reporting the facts based on eyewitnesses. You're the eyewitness, Christine. You pitched the topic. I don't want to get on the bad side of any of these kids or their parents, but, I mean, objectively, the clip that you just sent us, if that was one of the better clips, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Merry like Christmas, said, kids. Not- Try to do better next year. Try to do better. And especially if it's, you know, the teacher who's the problem, like, would you send a little anonymous note to the school being like, hey, like, what the hell was that? Uh, I wouldn't make it anonymous. <laughs> I'd put my you name just on send it. Them the, let's put the segment, like, online. <laughs> and you can just send them the link. You can send them the link to today's <laughs> podcast. Like, just listen to the home stretch. Love Cookie. Merry Christmas. And just see what happens. Maybe not. But can I just say one thing? Megan yes. did do a nice job. She really did. I, she does have a nice How do you voice. know? I, I, <laughs> I'm just saying it to save face for myself. Sound like a bunch of screeching cats up there. I mean, it'd, it'd be hard to differentiate someone doing a good job versus a bad job in that chaos. But given that she is a conscientious child, I would expect that she was probably prepared and doing her best, perhaps unlike some others. And again, this is a preparation issue that's not on the eight and nine year old kids. I will reiterate that in the spirit of Christmas. And on that note, <laughs> we're out of time. As I said, we'll have some great new programming next week. Guest hosts, I'll be back in the new year. Since I am not here for the rest of 2022, I just want to say it has been a record setting year here at the Guy Benson Show in a lot of ways. I am so grateful. To our bosses at Fox, we talked recently about my new contract extension. I'll be sticking around for several more years, which I'm very honored and and excited about that. We've got fantastic leadership here at Fox News Radio, John and Maria and everyone else who make this show possible and give us a lot of autonomy and let Christine remain employed and all sorts of stuff. I'm very grateful to them. Our team here at the show, close-knit tight-knit group, a small, trim fighting machine, just the four of us, with Dan, who runs the board, our engineer, and puts up with a lot of moving parts all the time, Wyatt, who's down here with me in D.C., Quiet Wyatt, War Wyatt, YY the Clown, all the nicknames, you know many of them and more, and of course, producer Christine Cookie, who puts up with a lot from me in particular, and it's always in good fun I am so proud of this team. I am so grateful to this team. I'm thankful to my family, to my husband, to my friends who are so supportive of me and this show. And it takes a lot every day, and I travel a ton. I know it's a lot. And it's always good, especially around Thanksgiving and toward the new year, to take inventory and be grateful and express that gratitude. So I just wanted to do that here in our closing moments. And last but certainly not least, thank you, this audience. Without the audience, the show doesn't exist. Without the audience, Fox News isn't a success. It's you guys. And we do a different type of radio show here than what you hear across the dial in a lot of political talk. And for those of you who are helping this show grow and be different and lean into that, we are just incredibly thankful. And we are very excited for a big new year ahead in 2023 with the big political Super Bowl 2024 
presidential election, of course, looming on the horizon. So raise a glass. I know, Christine, you probably have several to 2022. It's been an incredible year here on the broadcast, and we are looking forward to much more success and big things in the new year with your help. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and to all a good night on The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.